Good morning. Morning all. It's nice to see you again. Good morning. Morning at the back. Hi. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Pete. I'm one of the pastors in Christ Church and <clears throat> the mother church of Grace Church. And so from mother, I bring mother's greetings to you, okay? Um, if you have a Bible, would you please turn to John chapter 15? And I'm just going to read two verses. We could read a lot. This is the upper room discourse. We're, we're doing it at home. We've just started it. And this is where Jesus is with the disciples. And he's in the upper room at Passover, just before he goes to Gethsemane and just before he's crucified. And so this is really where he's given them the final words. And it's been a weird time already. It started, if you remember, with him washing the disciples' feet and them just freaking out because this is the last thing a master does. And that, in some ways, it's not just setting an example. It is setting an example for them. But he is really enacting for them what is about to happen, which is the master of all takes a towel, kneels down, <clears throat> and cleanses them through his own humility. And then you have the whole discourse with Judas. One of you will betray me. Go, do it quickly. Uh, and after that, you get Peter saying, I'll never do it. And him saying, you will deny me three times. All this has taken place. And then he starts to talk about his relationship with his father and how he wants them to be a part of it. And so in John chapter 15, he starts talking about abiding in him and being a part with him, a part, not a part, and, and knowing that sense of his continuing love for them. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So I'm just going to read two verses from John 15. And Jesus says this in verse 9 through to 11, okay? Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you want a title for this morning, you can call it Ode to Joy. I want to talk about joy from these few verses. I don't know if you've ever thought <clears throat> why, which I do all the time. Why do I do what I do? Desire what I desire. Strive for the things that I strive for. Love what I love. Hate what I hate. What, what's made me who I am? How do I tick? I'm always thinking that thing through. If I were to ask you to complete a sentence, um, I just want to be... Don't shout it out. It's a, it's a rhetorical question. But I just want to be, well, because you're Christians, you won't go happy or rich or famous because that's not what Christians say. You probably say, oh, holy. Not really understanding what that means. Um, or content, maybe. Or peaceful, possibly. Maybe if you're real, well. <laughs> or... Be rid 
of everybody. I don't know, whatever you think. <clears throat> I'm content, happy, holy, joyful. Don't joyful. See, I think if you were to say, what does God want for me to be? God just wants me to be. There's many things you could put in there. Righteous, holy, peaceful. I would say to you, more than any other thing you can put in there is joyful. Filled with joy. I'm going to explain some of that as we go into it. You know, what is the driving force <coughs> Excuse me, between, behind every need, every desire, every choice we make? What is the driving force? I think it's three things. ISP, remember this, identity, security, purpose. We live for identity, security, and purpose. Identity, who am I? Security, where am I or where do I fit? Purpose, why am I? I'm a bit of a, a philosopher. I sit and pace the floor and think about these things. Identity, security, and purpose. And whether we can articulate it or not or fully understand it, what you can say within identity, security, and purpose is this. It's a quest for joy. That's what's going on inside every human being, a quest for joy. And that relates into this scripture here. Whether it's the heroin addict or the next person who wants to become the prime minister or whatever it may be, there's a quest for joy in everything we choose to do, everything we want to do, everything we give ourselves to, everything we hope for. Now, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. We know that from Galatians. You know, <clears throat> fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, second one. And so it's something that's given to us, but it's something far more than that. And in this text here, he, Jesus says that he desires that our joy, their joy, the disciples, but ours as well, may be full. Joy that is full. So what's he talking about? And, and what does the Bible mean by joy? Well, let me tell you what it isn't. It isn't happiness. Okay? You, you can be happy, but not joyful. Um, you know, that's the U.S. Constitution, isn't it? The you, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is an interesting thing because the one thing about happiness is you can pursue it and pursue it and pursue it, but it never lasts. Happiness is like pouring water into a colander. It doesn't stay. You need more. You need more. You need more. Because it just runs out. Happiness is transient. You can be happy if your team wins. Um, you can be happy if your kids do well in school, if you've got children. You can be happy if you get a good report from the boss or, or a pay rise. You can be happy if you get honored or respected or a good reputation. There are many things that can make you happy. In its simplest form, though, joy... It can be similar to happiness. It's a spontaneous, almost internal sense of celebration. But as happiness dissipates, joy doesn't. Joy is far more substantive than happiness. Joy is the kind of happiness that doesn't depend upon what happens. Joy is the kind of happiness, it's the best way to describe it, 
that doesn't change or doesn't depend upon what happens. The word joy here in this text, it's a Greek word, and the Greek word is kara, C-H-A-R-A. Well, if you know anything about a bit of Greek, you will know that that sounds like charis, which is the word for grace. That's because joy and grace are interrelated in the Scripture. They're from the same root word. So when we read about joy, it's always connected with grace. And we know what grace is. Grace is the kindness of God received and understood. So the basis of joy is grace. I want to show you that and how we are able to encounter and hold and love and understand grace. Earlier in Galatians, Paul's before he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul, Paul questions the Galatians and he says to them, what has happened to the sense of joy you once had? This church were not just happy, but deeply joyful in their salvation. And he basically says, what's happened is you've moved from the spirit, which is about grace, into works, which is the flesh, and you've fallen from grace, joy and grace. What has become of the sense of joy you had? You've fallen from grace. That doesn't mean you've got unsaved or no longer a Christian. It means that you were standing in a place of grace and that grace was bringing joy and you've fallen from that place of grace and you've lost your joy. So the two are connected together. So I don't know if it's a question you've ever asked yourself. I have many times. That sense of internal joy, where's it gone? And the answer is always, you've moved away from grace. And when you move away from grace, you struggle. Page two. The old, uh, the old preacher, Billy Sunday, said this, and I love this. He said, the trouble with many Christians is that they have got just enough religion to make them miserable. Isn't that great? You come on a Sunday and it's like, what haven't you done this week? Now, I know you don't have that here. because, it's, well, What do you need to do next week? And just enough, just enough religion to make us miserable, but not so with joy. Joy is linked with love, kindness, and mercy, with grace. And it's a glorious word. Here's my, here's my definition. Joy is the subjective, felt, experience of being fully known and fully loved. This whole passage in John 15 opens that up, which we don't have time for the whole passage. But joy is the subjective, the felt experience of being fully known and fully loved. Fully known and fully loved. Oh, that's the thing. Because to be fully known, here's the thing. If I'm fully known by anybody, I am not going to be fully loved by that person. Because <clears throat> I know me. And I only know me to a degree. God knows me even better. To be, to be fully known and yet fully loved is grace, which is joy. Which is joy. 
If they really knew me, they would hate me. And this is what we hear. Notice the difference between love or the link between love and joy in verse 11. These things I have spoken, or let's read verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Excuse me, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, what? Abiding in his love, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So the answer for a full heart of joy is abiding in love. So what does that mean? And how do we do that? I find joy when love is unconditionally given to me, yet when I am fully known. It's the most profound joy that my joy, he says, may be in you. No one was or could be ever more joyful than Jesus Christ. Not possible. He was the most joyful person ever to have lived. He talks about, I want my joy to be in you. No one was or could be more joyful than him. Why? Because verse 9, we see it. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So the Father loves Jesus to such a degree. That's what you see, see in Jesus' baptism. So it's like heaven can't stand it. God, the Father, can't help but break in. It's like, I can't, not. I love him. I love him. Look at my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's known for all eternity. That sense of his father's glorious love towards him. Therefore, he is filled with joy. And he says to the disciples, oh, I want this for you. I want this for you. This is, this is not, this is so much deeper than what we think about joy. So much deeper. You know, who's the most joyful, Tigger? Tigger or Eeyore? You go, Tigger. No, I think Eeyore. Really? That's because we mix up joy and happiness. Tigger's bouncing around. He's trying to prove something to others. He's trying to prove something to himself. He's trying to look right, do right. Woohoo! The wonderful thing about Tigger. Eeyore is secure. Eeyore's just, is that your house, Eeyore? Yeah, that's my house. It's not much of a house, but it's a house. Eeyore's not trying to impress anybody. Eeyore's not frantic running around. Eeyore is at peace. Maybe Eeyore knows somebody loves him. I don't think Tigger does. But we think that's joy. That is not joy. Joy is so much more deep than that because it's essentially relational. Jesus knew true you. I, I don't have time, but you can read it in John 17 and verse 20 onwards. Oh, let's read it. He says, I do not ask for these only. This is his prayer to his father, but also for those who will believe in me through their word 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world might believe you sent me, the glory that you have given me and I have given to them. They may be one that even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so the world may know you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, Even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I want your joy to be full, Jesus says. And you get that by abiding in me in the way I abide in my Father. You know, we can know God's love forensically, can't we? You can quote the scriptures, sing the songs, understand the principles. Just like the, the mother who says to the, to the child, you know your dad loves you really. It's like we can get up on Sunday and go, you know God loves you really. You know Jesus loves you really. You can go, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus died for me. Yeah, I know. He came after me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, yeah thank you very much. Thanks for reminding me. And off I go into my little world. But the difference is not you know your dad loves you, but I experience something of my father's love. Mom, you don't need to tell me he loves me. I know it. But tell me anyway. I know it. But joy is felt love. It's experienced love. Husbands and wives, you know he loves you. I don't feel it. Parents and children, friends, the sense of tolerating people rather than enjoying people. As I've got older, I've realized, significantly older, I have friends that are nuts. They're weird. I mean, honestly, there's something wrong with that. Pretty well, all of them, I start here. Um, <clears throat> of course not I. I'm just as bad. And as I got older, I started to think, you know, I can sit and get uptight about the things that I think they should change or that bother me or bug me or whatever. Or I can just go, yeah, well, they're as crazy as me. Let's enjoy it. So, you know, there's times where we're finding, we're just laughing at each other a lot more and laughing and laughing because we realize we may as well enjoy the foibles as opposed to letting them get us uptight. And that's what a good marriage does. You, you, you end up just going, yeah, I know he's like that. Yeah, I know she's like that. But I used to hate it, but now it makes me laugh. Why, why do you always throw your coat on the floor and not hang it up? Why do you do it? Um, there was a time, and every now and then, but most of the time it's just like, yeah, that's the way it is. And there's about a thousand things that Jane could say about me. Let's not go there. That sense of joy comes from abiding in a love that is felt. 
and experienced. The joy that Jesus knew from all eternity through the love of the Father is the vacuum inside us all put there by our maker. Let me say that again. The joy that Jesus knew from all eternity through the love of the Father is the vacuum that is inside all of us put there by our maker to drive us to the only source of joy, which is his love. And yet we can struggle so much to experience this. We can struggle so hard. Why two fundamental mistakes? Golly, I've got to go quick. Firstly, we try to earn it, don't we? We try to earn our joy, to work for it in others. That's what happened to the Galatians. What has happened to you? I used to believe God loved me passionately and wonderfully because of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for me. And yet they fell from grace. And now the issue for the Galatians is, have I done this? Have I done that? Am I like this? Am I like that? Have I stopped doing this? Have I stopped doing that? They were trying to earn now that sense of God's love where it was theirs. The child desperately trying to please the father so that she can feel his love or affection. Or putting forward an image that's just not real. The guy does to the, to the girl he wants to go out with. Just go on to social media. It's a cry for joy. Post after post after post. What are they longing for, everybody? What are we longing for when we're doing that? What happens when we get loads of likes? I never do, but that's because I don't really post anything. But um, what happens? That sense of, it feels like joy. If, because it feels like love and acceptance, but it dissipates. And then next week, I have to do the same. I watch people and I think, oh, you are just bound. You are addicted to this because you think it's giving you what's filling that vacuum, but it isn't. You're pouring water, as I said, into the colander. And the problem with this is even when we obtain that sense of love, which we think will give us joy. It's love to the image that we put out. It's not true love because we're not truly known. And that is the problem. We're living, whatever we do, always to some degree, it's a mirage. It's a front. Because we're all the same. We all, to some degree, and sometimes to a big degree, feel like frauds. If they really knew me. If she really knew me. So the person she's loving or they're loving or that you hope will give you joy doesn't give you joy because you know that they're giving it to a false you, not a real you. And it never gives you what you need. And that's why, particularly with pastors, if you're a pastor, you're no different. It might be even worse because you, you feel like you've got this position to maintain. So you're desperately trying to get that in. That's why so many pastors 
of late, I've been seeing pastors committing suicide. Why? Because they just can't maintain that. So they're always trying to do something and put something out. They, they, they turn into tiggers. <clears throat> I'm the Jack D of the pastoral team. Miserable as sin, as much as I can be. But my premise is Eeyore has more joy than Tigger. <laughs> it's elusive. The harder we try, we can't keep the work up. We know that. So you, we use different techniques to try and suck that out of folk. Give me that. We can, we can be withdrawn. We can be obstreperous. We can be self-pitying. Just watch Harry and Meghan. What's that about? The quest for true joy. So that goes in a self-pitying way. We can be angry. Never works. So we try to earn it. And secondly, when it doesn't work, we substitute it for something else. So rather than trying to get joy, we try and find something else. It's like the methadone. If, if joy is the heroin, and that's the only thing that will really do the job, well, we, we, we make do with the methadone. You know, the, the, the drugs, drugs get, they give you to get you off heroin, but it never feels the same. It's never the real thing. C.S. Lewis in Surprised by Joy, wonderful book, says this, page 197, if you want to see it. He says, I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not just substitutes for joy. Whether all pleasures are not substitutes for joy. If we don't feel God's love, joy, we search for it elsewhere and try to survive on that kind of methadone. Um, I'm told as we get older, we tend to mistake thirst for hunger. It happens to you. It wasn't my fault. My body's tricking me. I'm really thirsty, but it's telling me I'm hungry. And that's what happens. So children drink and drink and drink a lot. But as we get older, we eat more and we eat more. And as I was reading, it's, it's, a, it's a trick. You, you don't realize it. What you really need is to drink more. I mean water, not just... <laughs> or maybe a few more pints might help. <clears throat> a liquid lunch. Always good. Um, but it's the same thing. We mistake one thing for another. We mistake that high. We mistake that sense of, of transient happiness or, or affirmation from somebody. And we think it's joy, but it's gone. Our craving goes in so many directions, doesn't it? It could be a person. We crave that sense. A spouse or a child, a parent, a boss, a friend. Feed me. A career, a position, in work or a hobby or even within the church. Possessions, what I drive, how I live, how my house looks, the clothes I wear. Respect of others, how, I mean, I, there's, there's just so much. How I look, you want to know, a quest for joy. So, oh man, I'm overweight, God, I need to lose weight, so I've gone on diet. Two stone drops later, I feel great until you don't feel great anymore and then I'm not feeling as great as I was and I'll have another Mars bar. Um, that sense of when you feel great because of that, 
still a quest for joy. Maybe I will be seen differently now. Um, some of these things aren't wrong, but they don't produce the ultimate. And the other thing is when we lose any of these things or they fail to deliver, and they always do, we can feign happiness or we can experience bits of happiness, but that deep joy goes. So how do you get it to finish? Two things. God knows us. He knows we do this. But he is merciful and desires we truly get the real thing. How do we get the real thing? True joy. John, Jesus tells us here in these two things. It's not complicated, but it's profound. It's not complicated, but it is the answer. It's the answer to life. One, understand the immensity of God's love for you. Understand the immensity of God's love for you. As the Father, think about this for a minute. As in the same way, commensurate to, as the Father has loved me, so, so I have loved you. How loved are you by Jesus Christ to the same way that Jesus is loved by his Father in spite of you, because of him? You are loved with the same passion and degree and acceptance and, and joy that the Father has in the Son is what he has in us. It's a staggering statement. Jesus lived for joy. For all eternity, he knew the Father's love. He, he embodied joy. That's why the sinners wanted to be with him. Because there's nothing more attractive than a person who is not tigger, but internally joyful. Because it's related into peace. And it's related to love. And when they're joyful, they're not striving. They're not trying to prove anything. They're not trying to look good. It doesn't matter anymore. Why? I'm loved. That, what, is that, what is that thing? We call it security or peace. That's joy. Knowing who loves me. The Lord Jesus loves me in exactly the same way the Father loves him. And yet, such is his love for us. Think about this. He gives up. He gave up that joy he had with the Father on the cross. Here is, we sing, here is love. We'll sing it at the end. Vast as the ocean. Here is trauma. Vast as the ocean as well. When we sing about the love, never has there been trauma when Jesus cries out on the cross, <clears throat> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not just quoting Psalm 22 so we can go, oh, that's interesting. He's quoting Psalm 22. He's trying to get us to realize that this was prophesied before. No. Now it's his God. He's not charging God, but he is in desperate agony. Why? 
the love that I've had with the Father from all eternity, that means my joy is always full because I know whose I am. Here's my identity. Here's my security. Here's my purpose. On the cross is stripped away. Stripped away. That's why in Gethsemane, as he's anticipating this, and he talks about, is there any way this cup can pass me by? It's not what's in the cup that is so terrifying. It's the loss of the love and the joy. Because not only can the father no longer love him, which means his joy is gone, the father turns and the father pours his anger and wrath out upon him. Of course he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the forsaking of the son. That's how much Jesus loves you. I want you to know, as the Father loves me, so I have loved you. Here's the proof. My God, my God, why? He gave up that sense of joy, which we can't imagine of the pain, of the separation from God's love and joy. And yet, at the cross, it's not just the separation. He goes to the cross for the anticipation of it. So Hebrews 12 tells us, doesn't he? For the joy set before him, he endures the cross. Some people go, do you know what that joy set before him is? It was me. I am the joy that was set before him. Now, he did go for you. No, no. The joy was, he knows the joy he's had for the Father from all eternity. And he goes to the cross and it's ripped away from him and it's utter agony and trauma like never been experienced. But a day will come where that joy will be restored and he will know the Father's love again once sin is dealt with. He bought us joy, free, undeserved, unearned, knowing who we were. Knowing who we were, he died for you. Knowing who you would be. Knowing everything that you would do or wouldn't do. Every mistake, every sin, every failure, every broken promise, every cold heart. I've loved you in the way my Father loves me. Let me show you. So, understand the immensity of his love and finally abide in that love. He says here, doesn't he? If you keep my commandments, oh, oh, this was all going so well until that bit. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Understand it, but stay in it. How do we stay in it? Keep his commandments. Oh, no. Well, that's me gone. Because I'm, I'm breaking his commandment even now. And I will by the rest of the day. And I'll break more commandments tomorrow. And who knows what kind of commandments I'll break this week. Keep his commandments. That's not his rules. Here's his commandments. Come unto me. All who are weary and heavy laden. And find rest. 
Find in me the source of all your joy. Pursue me. Let me be enough. That's the commandments that we follow to stay and abide in that love. What is the commandment? Come. Come to me. What is the commandment? Cast your cares upon me, for he cares for you. When we read about the commandments, he says they're not burdensome. They are delightful. We come as we are weak. We come as we are knowing the reality. And we say, you love me. And it's joy. And we stay in it and abide in it. Westminster Confession, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are born for the quest for joy, the desire to fill that vacuum with a knowledge of being loved in spite of ourselves by the one who loves us with an everlasting love that will never change, who proves it on the cross by having that stripped away from him, but who anticipates a day when his joy will be full again. And therefore, in that, he says, I want you to know this love so that you may have joy and the joy I have may be in you and therefore your joy will be full and everything's going to be all right. Even when you go through trials and trauma and difficulty. So James 1 says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you go through various trials of different things, for you know, and he explains what happens through it. 1 Peter says the same. It's okay, there's joy there. John says the same in 1 John 1, 3. There is joy to be found, which is the key that we're all looking for. And Jesus says, there's only one place you're ultimately going to find it. Harry, Megan, everybody else, whoever you are, here is joy knowing the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you, gave himself for you, and receiving his joy because you know we are accepted in the one he loves, who loves us the same. It's good news, isn't it? What do you do with this? Well, just enjoy it. Enjoy it. Recognize where joy is found. Reject the substitutes. Turn to him and say, Lord, I, I know that's who I am. I know what I want. I know what I need. Help me abide in your love. What do you do? Just keep looking at it. Keep thinking about it. Remind yourself again. When you see things you think, that's methadone, that, isn't it? Well, that's non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> oh, ugh. That's not the real thing. I want the real thing. Lord Jesus, that is you. Amen. Let's pray and then we're going to sing, Here is Love. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the joy that you and he had together, together with the Holy Spirit, before the foundation of the earth. Thank you for the love 
that he knows. And thank you for his prayer that we too would know that same love which will produce that same joy. Lord, we want to understand more and more. We want to grasp the immensity of your love for us through your Son. And Lord, we pray and we ask, help us through your word and through your spirit. Help us through our circumstances and through our challenges. Help us through our relationships and our friends. Help us through our families and through our hardships. Help us to abide, find contentment, peace, and joy in your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.